Neve Sessions with AMS Neve. On today's podcast is recording and mix engineer and airs in-house engineer John Prestage, who has worked on film scores including Interstellar, The Hunger Games franchise, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Isle of Dogs, Paddington, Rocketman, Cruella, and also on albums for artists like Adele, Biffy Clyro, Muse, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, and many, many more. So welcome along, John. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Alice. Lovely to meet you. Lovely to meet you too. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, and whereabouts are you? In the studio? Are you in London? Where are we finding you today? Um, I'm at air. I'm tucked away in a, a little room, mixing away, happily, um, on my own, unfortunately, as is often the way these days. Mm. Oh, has that changed massively then during the last couple of years? Yeah, I mean, the pandemic has very much kept us working remotely, Um which is a great shame. It's a, you know, the human interaction is um, a big part of what we do, but unfortunately we're having to do things with people elsewhere. Mm. And how have you adapted to that? Did you find it quite difficult at first or has it just become the norm now? Um, we'd always done quite a lot. There, you know, there'd be projects where people couldn't fly over for budget reasons or whatever from, um, from the state. So we, we were used to working that way, but it's really expanded into um, lots of people quite globally we, people will be in different locations and then we can we can work very collaboratively um and we quickly had to adapt the technology to allow that as usually you'd be working with a group of people who are all in a room together and we were in a room together mm. here and you just have one line of communication but now we've got to draw everything in from from everybody wherever they might be so yeah, I suppose it's, it's good it's, it's way, a good thing it? yeah Mm, of course, because you all, obviously, like you say, you work remotely a lot of times anyway. People are out in different countries. But now, I suppose, with the, everyone being a bit separated, it must be tricky. Did you have to work or were you able to work at home when studios weren't open during that period where everything shut down? How did it work for you then? Yeah, but I've got a, got a little setup at home, so managed to find some mixing projects to keep me busy. Some of them were contrived lockdown things, but some of them were um, records that we we're going to do anyway. So it was. Um, nice to be able to continue to do that and also to take a bit more time on with things you know rather than having to um mix something in a week sort of oh i could do a day here a day there take a bit more time to reevaluate how i was working a b some techniques and um just enjoy it really and rather than just defaulting to things i'd done before sort of cheating it was going back to the drawing board and thinking right well what will bring some bring a little bit of something to this project mm, i'm trying to think of it a bit differently yeah a lot of people use that time to perhaps take a bit, bit of a pause reassess how they do things what's pro, you know what to prioritize and everything so um that's good that it sounds like you found the time to do that and um what if you're allowed to say what uh what project are you working on at the moment or is it a top secret one no, it's not top secret. I'm I'm mixing for a TV show on ITV called McDonald and Dodds, which is a detective drama. They've, there's two seasons already out and we're doing the third now. So it's become a nice routine job to be working on. Okay, excellent. And before we get into all of your career, as I've mentioned earlier, you've worked on some amazing projects. Um, almost it's hard to pick once you go through, if anyone looks on your IMDb or anything like that, they'll, they'll see what I'm talking about. But when you were a child, when you think back to that, do you think of yourself as being particularly musical or into music or obsessed by any of that 
kind of thing? What are your memories of um, growing up around music as a child? Well, I sort of, when when I was a kid, I at school, it became time when they decided you should start learning an instrument. So I picked up the trumpet at seven or eight um, and played that a lot. I got really into it. I did lots of youth music things. Then went to secondary school, started to play the drums because there was a drum kit. I thought that looks fun and loud. So mm-hmm. I did met some other kids who wanted to play in a band. So so did all that and had a great time with it and um, was very immersed in music in, in my early years. Um, so just, yeah, it just felt very natural, really. Music was always a big part of my life. Mm. Um, and I'm very fortunate to have managed to make it a career. Yes, and trumpet, maybe for children, I'm not sure what the most popular instrument might be. You might think guitar or piano. Was that um, wh- Where did that choice come from? Might be a bit more unusual as a first instrument to go for. I think it was just my school at the time. They had, you know, they started a scheme to get kids learning instruments and they were all wind instruments. And um, I was too small for the trombone because I didn't <laughs> have long enough arms. So um, <laughs> I had to compromise on that. <laughs> do you still play the trumpet now? I do. I do sometimes. I've got um. I, I play in a big band with a group of friends, who we all sort of graduated from uni at the same time, and um. One of them decided to start a band, so I still do that, which is good fun, and because we, you know, because we're mates, I get away with my work schedule sometimes getting in the way of what we do, but I try and make it work. Mm, okay, that's nice that you can still make the time, you know, when you can. Um, and what about, what kind of music were you into when you were a kid? Or perhaps was it film scores you might have been into as well on, on the side of that? I wasn't particularly into film scores, I have to confess. Um, although my mum was, I, I definitely remember listening to um, James Horner's score to Braveheart a lot in the car. Mm-hmm. She was very keen on that. But I, I, I love guitar bands, anything with guitars. Some of my mates were more into classic rock sometimes, so I just listened to all of it. And I didn't, you know, certainly in my early teens, I didn't really know the context of any of it in terms of how old it was. It was just all music, and I mm. absorbed it all. And then um, very conveniently caught the the um, indie wave in the mid mid to late noughties when I went off to off to uni. That's right. And um, before we get on to, you know, your uni stuff and all of that, can you remember what the first um, music was that you bought with your own money? Now, these tend to fall into two categories, um, John. They're usually quite embarrassing or sometimes they're very cool. So I'm wondering what yours falls into. I, I kind of wish it was embarrassing. Um, <laughs> but this, this, this wasn't, it definitely wasn't my first but I do remember opening up the um, the liner notes and reading that it was partly recorded at Air Studios in London and thinking, oh, that's um, that's where I want to be, really. Um, and that was um, Absolution by Muse. Oh, no, that is cool. A lot of <laughs> a lot of a lot of kids bought at the time. Yes, but, um, me included. You know. <laughs> when people <laughs> but, bought I just CDs. remember seeing it and thinking, yeah, that's, you know, I remember being blown away with how the record sounded. And seeing air, thinking, right, one day, maybe I'll be there. How brilliant is that? I wonder what your younger self would have said if they'd know where you end up. Yeah, I think they'd have been pretty, pretty impressed. I think so too. Um, Okay, so when about was it when you realised you thought, you know, I want to 
get into working in you know the kind of recording studio environment going down that sort of path was it when you went to university as you just mentioned no I was I was I was a teenager um I'd always been into computers and pretty much anything electronic and I was, I was going in quite a technical direction with what I was good at at school and then a friend of mine basically um, educated me that this career path existed which I had no idea about so then sort of did some research on it um, and sort of tried to figure out how I could make it work it sounded like the the dream combination of um, computers and tech and music okay and um once you were I'm guessing once you were doing the course and in it was it then that you really realized okay this is what I'm going to do and then did you start to think about you know what you do going on from there um well I I I guess I was I didn't do a recording course specifically with that I was um I went in work experience wise um and just really loved it just really loved being in studios um and that that was set just did everything I could to um to make it happen and you know I got I got lucky a few times along the way um but yeah it's just re- it's really suited me Mm, absolutely and am I right in saying you worked at Rockfield Studios under producer Matt Butler I did yes um Matt has been absolutely incredible to me um since when I was about 15 I originally went went to see him when I was trying to get my um, high school work experience week sorted um I heard a rumor that there was a a recording engineer locally so I just went out you know found out where he lived and out when he was out washing his car and I went and said hello and asked if I I could go and do work experience with him. Um, to which he said, no, because <laughs> I don't know if I'm working on your week's work experience. But he, we kept in touch and he took me to some studios and um, yeah, we went to Rockfield a lot, which was amazing. Um, it's a beautiful studio, a lot of fun being there. Um, and he, yeah, so I was, I was lucky finding him. Absolutely. I'm glad it worked out for you because it could have gone very differently, I suppose, if you uh, found out where he lived and turned up at his house and he wasn't impressed by that. So I'm glad it had a happy ending. (laughs) (laughs) And you knew who you were. Um, So when you look back at that, do you have, can you remember your first project that you work on? Not necessarily something big, but the first one you remember getting your teeth into. First thing I I did with Matt was with a jazz drummer called Paul Cavacuti. um, And it was a quartet record. And I was going down after school every day um, to Rockfield to hang out and absorb it, um, which was amazing. It was quite a unique situation to be in. Um, but they took me under under their wing as well. Um, the band did and had a great time. Wonderful. And how long were you working at Rockfield then? Um, I was working around there on and off for about sort of about four years I was never on staff there but they got me to do a couple of sessions um for them and then I was going down with Matt a lot as well and I've been back since to to take my own project Mm, okay and um when you look back now then what what project would you say was your first big break moment I suppose it must have been something maybe that led to a lot of other work or perhaps your first big time project when you started to feel things taking off for you what was that 
just before I went to uni, I assisted on the the Wombats' debut album, which was which ended up being absolutely huge and um, was played on every Friday night when I was going out at uni. Um, and it suddenly felt like I'd made it. Um, but I didn't, you know, but then I studied for four years and didn't do any more, but that, that was suddenly the realization that, okay, I'm in a, I'm in a good place here. This might, this might have legs, this. Mm, this and career. how amazing that must be to hear it when you're out and about, maybe in a pub or something. Did you, how did that feel at the time? And what did your friends think of it? Or were they like, Oh, whatever. <laughs> um, they probably got slightly irritated about how excited I was about it. <laughs> but Let's Dance to Joy Division was a, a massive hit. Um, and to have worked on that and to hear it, it was just, it was very surreal. And I, I still haven't had anything since that's, you know, a record that I've worked on that has also been a huge part of my life was was amazing, an amazing feeling. Mm, it's such a great track as well. And it's on the radio even now a lot, isn't it? It's You can't really ever not hear that song. It's really stood the test of time. What are your memories of working on that? Um, the whole thing was a bit of a laugh, really. The the band, they're, they're lovely. They're a lot of fun. Um, There's a lot of late nights getting it done. It was It was just a really, really enjoyable thing to be around. Um, and also the excitement of it, you know, I was listening to that sort of music. I was, I remember driving down to the studio and Kill the Director was on the radio and thinking, damn, I'm about to go and work with these guys. Um, and it was, yeah, it was just in- incredibly exciting. I'll bet it's such a feel good song as well. I don't know what it was like or if you kind of captured that vibe when you were in the studio. I suppose you never really know what's going to do well or do you sometimes get an inkling in your role? You could you could tell with this one as soon as they started playing the songs. Oh, hang on a minute! This is this this is good stuff here. This is mm. this is really going to going going to go the distance. Yeah, and well, yeah, absolutely, you did so good instincts there. And um, of course, you're now air, and you've been there since 2011, and you're the in-house engineer. So, how did you get started there then? Um, I tagged along with Matt to a session while I was studying in London, mm. and he said, "I'm." I'm at air. Come up if you can. Obviously, I dropped absolutely everything. Yeah, um, of course. And came up. So hung out for the day, and then just just trying to help out where I could. Um, so at the end of the session, I was out coiling cables with um, the assistant from air at the time, and Matt said, "Right, I'm off. You look busy, so I'll leave you to it." Um, and I stayed, and I helped set up for the next day's string session, which was a a new thing for me to be in that doing that sort of work and um introduced myself to the studio manager and um got got asked back to do bits of bits of work just just those sorts of things when you need a bit of extra extra help around the studio people who know what most of the mics are and can coil a cable neatly and make the tea so i just came in and did bits of that um freelance while i was still studying 
I see. Um, so then one of the big projects you were on, which obviously you knew, know about, but for the purposes of our listeners, you were the score recordist on Interstellar, which was released in 2014. Feels much more recent than that, but obviously for Hans Zimmer's score. Um, so what are your memories of working on that? Was it always a dream, given that you're working on scores a lot and, of course, have gone to do that, to work on one of Hans Zimmer's? Um, what was that process like for you? Well, it was a bit of a rabbit in the headlights moment for me um as the majority of the scores recorded on location at the temple church and they needed someone to go down and help out so i volunteered myself thinking that sounded like a good excuse to go somewhere else do something a bit different um but i ended up in a, a leading role which was pretty daunting and i'm not sure i was quite expecting it um so we were set up in this funny little room at the side of the church with Christopher Nolan and Hans Zimmer oh sat behind me. Me completely, well, had to throw myself in. That's all. That's always the way, really. But sort of, sort of clinging on um, by my fingernails to the situation. But it was, uh, you know, it was it was amazing, and that you, you know you could tell with that 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 was clearly going to be a influential score. It was so unique and interesting and emotional um that yeah that was a very exciting time yeah i'll bet that must have been quite intimidating with them sitting right behind you as well i can imagine yeah it very it very much because we had such a weird setup the room was quite narrow so we couldn't spread out like we normally would so it was definitely sort of they were definitely behind me <laughs> sort of <laughs> barking orders it was fun though it was it was a, an amazing session so is that usual I wonder for a director to be involved in this score recording session um or do, is Christopher Nolan in particular quite hands-on with that I imagine Hans Zimmer of course wants to be involved did they have any notes for you or wanted it you know done in a certain way or anything to do with your workflow or are they just there usually um Christopher Nolan would always be there he's he's very he's very hands-on with the scores um, and it's always nice to work with directors when they they know what they want and can and can offer things. Um, he's obviously he's been doing it a long time, so he knows what you can and what you can't do on the recording sessions. Um, so it's it's a fairly smooth process. Um, just thinking if they would have. I mean, basically, you in in my role with that you. You you make you make it work. If a request comes, no matter how complicated it is, you just try and figure out how to do it as quickly as possible. So mm. um, they weren't directly influencing, but we were doing fairly complicated work on the fly. Mm. Yeah, of course. And um, you work with a few uh, composers numerous times over the years. Of course, um, was that the first time you worked with Hans, or had you worked with him before that? Uh, I'd met Hans a couple of times on the the second Dark Knight film. Mm. I remember doing um, as an assistant, but I was very much um, making the tea at that point. So to then get thrown into a into a different role, whether he, he remembered me or not, I don't know. <laughs> it's nice to be there still, even if it's just sort of making the tea, <laughs> just to get that uh, familiarity, I suppose. <laughs> or maybe they just that intimidating first meeting out of the way before you know. Interstellar, something very hardcore like that, very big. And then, uh, yeah, I guess so. It's it is it's good being in um 
an environment like air because you do get to know the people um before you actually get thrown into the hot seat so you've got a lot you know you, you know the you know the dynamics in a group um and who everyone is before uh, which which takes a lot of the stress out of some of the more complicated work mm, that's great that's a good uh approach to have I suppose just to uh, get you more used to it and more comfortable and uh, get everyone comfortable and um, so since Interstellar of course uh, you've regularly taken on the role of score recordist on many major films uh, their scores including um, Isle of Dogs, Red Sparrow, Lady in the Van um, if anyone checks out your IMDb there's a very 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 long list uh, with loads of amazing films in it so I'm just curious if you're even allowed to say is it like asking you to pick a favourite child is there one film score in particular that you've worked on that was a particular highlight for you? Um, I've got a very soft spot for my work on the Hunger Games films, um, okay. which James Great Newton franchise, yeah. wrote the scores for. Yeah, and they they were just a really good a good vibe those sessions because they were exciting films. Um, they were very hotly anticipated there was a lot of buzz around the, the films coming out and after the first one which was which was brilliant it was you sort of settling into this franchise of we, we're going to be here a while doing this now um and it was it was just a brilliant a brilliant team um and the music's amazing the film's amazing and we had plenty of time to do it and it was all very much in the it, it, they felt like real old school Hollywood sessions. We were, we were doing everything properly. We were taking our time. We were recording huge orchestras um, and taking the time to get it right. Um, so I remember those those very fondly. Yeah, I loved those films. I remember going to see one of them at Dolby in London uh, to see the, I guess it was an Atmos screening or something. So yeah, I love all of those. Everything that comes together, like you say, the orchestra, just such a big franchise that it became though I suppose they always knew that it would yeah exactly and you, you could just you could just tell that there was that buzz about the whole thing mm, absolutely and quite rightly so as well brilliant films um and another uh director well, I say director you've worked with the obviously the composer that worked with the director a lot uh, you've done a few Wes Anderson films so one of them or well, the most recent one I believe is Isle of Dogs is that right in saying or did you do um his most recent one, which name has gone out of my head. I, I did work on the French Dispatch as well. Ah. Yeah. But um the, the music's slightly more key in Isle of Dogs. Yes. I, I, I feel. Okay, yes. So this um, you know, as ev- everyone that watches any Wes Anderson films, they of course got a very distinctive style. And um so you worked with so it's Alexandra Desplat score for this film. It's also quite distinctive and a bit unconventional, jumps between different tones and themes and melodies. Um, so how did this, if at all, I'm not sure how it does affect your work, does this unconventional approach to a score affect your work as the score recordist? Well, Wes is very, very hands-on. He's got a very clear idea of what he wants um, from the music and how it's going to fit into the film. Um, and something that happens a lot is that he'll have an idea in his head of how what we're recording might work elsewhere in the film. So what I need to be able to do is to be able to find that either find it in the film or find the piece of music to then put it somewhere else. So I need to be pretty organized about how to get hold of all these bits. Um, But what it means is that everything we record has to be able to work alongside 
everything else. So we might record a performance that's fine on its own, but we'll have to rhythmically adjust them so that we can chop it in against other music elsewhere. We just need to make sure that it's slightly more perfect. But we also don't want to suck all of the life out of the recording by just quantizing it to a grid. So especially with things like ty- the Tycos in Isle of, jo- Isle of Dogs, we'll be layering them up completely out of context of how they're recorded. So it's a bit of a challenge to to make everything work, um, especially as certainly for that that film, we had this small four clarinet ensemble, which is then playing alongside these super loud taiko drums, which in real life doesn't work. You know, the clarinets are far too quiet, but then we have to find a way to make them sit together as a homogenous thing, which is... You know, I think a lot of the time it's part of um, Wes's master master plan. But there was a lot of putting in the groundwork so that they could have all that flexibility later. Mm. When you're working on something like this, do you ever think as you're doing it, God, is this going to work when we see it all together or do you just trust that it does? Um, with Wes, I, I trust that it does. Mm. <laughs> yeah, he knows what <laughs> he's doing, to be fair. <laughs> he, he, he does, he does. And, you know, the, his master plans... That there is always a master plan. I feel with him, um, but but sometimes you you do wonder how it's going to come out, and it's always rewarding to um to watch something something and think, oh yeah, that's what we did, but not quite how I imagined it. So um yeah, sometimes it you, you do things and they don't make sense, but there's something that's going to happen later that's going to bring it all into context. Okay, interesting. And uh, another big one, completely different kind of film, of course, that you worked on was uh, the recent Cruella film. So tell me about your work on this one. What did that involve for you? How did you approach this um, particular score recording project? The brief for Cruella was to record with as much old gear as possible um, to emulate the records that make up the the rest of the soundtrack, Mm. which we weren't necessarily aware of at the time, but there's all these big... Um, sequences um, from bands from the 70s. Um, So we had to use all of this old gear, but the records that we were emulating would have been done over a period of weeks and weeks and weeks, but we were on a much tighter schedule than that. We had mere days to do an entire score with a band. Um, So we're using lots of tape and lots of old outboard gear, but we had to build a lot of redundancy into our setup so that mm. if anything broke down, we hadn't lost takes. We didn't have time to go back and do anything. We didn't have time to wait on the technology, basically. So we had to be um, super carefully set up to make it all work. Mm. And also to not get in the way of the creative flow because we'd have a band out on the floor. Um, they wanted to overdub a guitar solo while we did another take of the drums and bass then of course the answer for us is yes um if if they want to do it they've got to do it you know it might be the a moment of genius and then through all that um nick patel the composer wasn't here he was listening in from america so it was crucial that he heard everything absolutely perfect mm. perfectly and wasn't left out of the loop um so it's quite a lot of a lot of things to to juggle there yeah, it sounds it. Uh, lots of preparation for this film, it sounds like, having to do things a different way 
but to make sure obviously like you said you nail it and don't miss any creative sparks that might happen on the fly so is that particularly difficult to adapt to doing things that sort of way when now everything's often you know so digital and you can just do take after take how was that um well the the usual film score model is that everything's all very carefully prepared the music's all written down um and you just go and record it as well as you can so it's quite difficult to adapt in a film context to those spontaneous moments but it's very rewarding when when you do and that's what really adds the little bit of magic which i think was important with with that score as you were cutting into these old very vibey very spontaneous records Mm. and um of course being an air you have access to many consoles that will be the envy of many recordists and engineers out there all over the world that would just you know practically maybe not kill that might be a bit strong but you know they would give anything to work in that environment with these uh, legendary consoles so um which ones at air are you regularly using for your work um our main two consoles in the recording rooms are big neves um one is a vintage 1978 Neve, which was custom made for air um, to very specific specifications. Um, and we bought three originally and we've got the biggest one left. Um, and then a more modern one in the in the hall, which is our largest studio, which is essential for scoring work to have a big, flexible, modern console rather than the vintage beast. Mm, the vintage beast being the um, the one that most people would love to get their hands on, I guess. So um, have you been using Neve um, ever since you've worked at Air or did it um, come before that for you? Did you get a chance to get your hands on anything before Air? Um, Rockfield have a Neve um, in one of their rooms, um, which is slightly newer than the one at Air. But I, I remember sitting in front of that in the in the early days and just, just seeing that distinctive N on on all the faders and mm. thinking, oh, this is it. I'd heard about Neves and suddenly I was sat in front of one. Um, and they've got some other amazing older Neve modules in both in both studios. So I, I feel that they've been um, part of my story along the way um, in the same way that Neve is a huge part of Air's story as our, our name is still on. Air Gear, you know, the Montserrat name, the Air Montserrat Studio mm-hmm. had a custom console. And all of our our my camps in the building are though are those same that same design from 78. Mm. And um on to the uh the beast, I think you called it the Montserrat. So what's uh, some of your favorite things about using this console? Um, you know, how does that enhance your workflow? Um I think my favorite thing about that that console is that it's it's kind of the best of both worlds in terms of being a vintage desk but with just about enough flexibility that we can still keep it and still do scoring work which is so much of of what we do here because it's a very large console um but fortunately because of the period it was made it's very low noise so it's still suitable for orchestral work um and precision re- recording and actually it was it was built to be incredibly high bandwidth so in the modern days of high resolution recording it's actually designed designed for that even though it didn't exist when it was made which is which is quite fortunate that um 
it is that it is that good and we can just about get away with using it Mm. and um, did you use this particular console for for instance any of your most recent things like Cruella I Love Dogs yeah Cruella it was a huge part of the sound um, which was which was incredibly useful for going for this vintage thing Um, and I, I, I feel that Nick fell in love with the sound of that room, which is probably partly to to do with that console. Um, and how did it help out yeah, with them? Um, it was lucky oh, because norm, normally, normally working on a vintage console, you'd have you'd have trouble doing a film score workflow because um, most of them are a lot smaller and less flexible. But it was it was really good to be able to use it to its full its um, its full extent on that project. Mm, did it adapt to the kind of sound you wanted to get? The more, um, I guess you were talking about an analogue sort of feel to that particular score for Coella. Yeah, definitely. It's it's built it, it's built built in an old way, and it's definitely got a vintage sound to it. And what about the um, the use of doing um, you know film score work versus you know just regular albums? Do you prefer a different desk? different Neve desk for, for each of these, perhaps the one in the hall. Um, what, what's your preference there? Um, for album projects, then definitely the, the old, the old Neves are just so inspiring to work on. And even the ones slightly older than, than ours here at air, the ones of the 1081 EQs are just so inspiring to use. And I, I don't know whether it's just the memory of enjoying the recording process, but it, it always feels like the console has imparted a, real character to the record but those those older consoles they're noisy they can be unreliable um and usually they're not really big enough for for scoring work so for sure the the 88r we have in in the hall is 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 a lot better optimized for for scoring workflows it's it's got surround sound built in which is essential for what we do Mm -hmm. um and just just little things which are, are really hard on the older desks, like setting up lots of different head, headphone mixes for um, different musicians. Because in the hall, we can record an orchestra simultaneously with a band. We've got quite a lot of isolation rooms um, to do that. And it's just, it, it is actually your sort of control center that in one piece of equipment can deal with almost everything you have to have to do for a big scoring session. So... They're definitely better suited, um, but Neve have done an amazing job of keeping their sound and retaining what's special about their older consoles in their in their new ones, which is um, which is a lot of what what, what makes the brand so special. Um, they're still built to the you know to be the best they can be. Mm, and that is obviously so important um, for all roles within working in the studio of course and um so i know you've said about um some of your recent projects that you're working on have you got anything exciting coming up um you might not be able to talk about it i'm sure you've got some interesting films or perhaps um programs in the work for the scores coming up um i'm i'm doing a, a super fun um album project with a composer called charlotte harding which is a it's it's based around the sounds of string instruments but it's been combined with a lot of electronic production which which she's prescribing to me in sort of a graphic notation and then i'm mixing that 
to create the um the finished piece of music which is which is really fun because it's the the work for me is mixing but it's incredibly collaborative i'm almost performing really and it's my interpretation of of what what she wants is coming out in the mix so we've done a couple of tracks of that which hopefully she'll release fairly soon and then there'll be more coming up um for the full album which is yes yeah, it's, it's a really fun collaboration and we've been doing all that remotely but um hopefully we'll we'll actually be able to do some in person um fairly soon mm, yeah exactly it sounds like a nice way to kickstart the new year with this project then yes absolutely okay excellent i'm sure you've got many many other exciting ones to come uh your the things you work on definitely seem to hit the big screen quite a lot so i'm sure it won't be too long before we hear or see something you've worked on um so it's good to know you've got so much in the works and um interesting to hear all about your journey of course coming up through the industry and through air so thank you so much for taking the time to tell us about that today my pleasure thank you for um thank you for having me oh you're so welcome thank you so much um i need to see that new was anderson film as well i didn't actually make it to the cinema to see that one um so i definitely want to go and check that out have you seen it yet john no i haven't sadly i've i've been I've missed several things I've worked on recently at the cinema, which is a great shame. Um, there's a, a fantastic film called The Green Knight. I don't know if you've heard anything about it, but... Oh, which, I have heard something about this, actually. Yeah, so you haven't seen well, that either? No, I haven't seen it either. And I really wanted to see it on the big screen, but they um, they postponed the UK release and it sort of fell a bit flat in the cinemas, unfortunately. Uh, but, yeah. So well, it's been an hope, incredibly hopefully difficult Hopefully it will get time. cult status and I'll be able to watch it in a... Um, in a cinema at some point yeah or if not i'm sure it will come to netflix or other other streaming services before long but it would be nice to see it i suppose when you've been working on them and concentrating so hard it must be nice to actually see the finished project i imagine yeah for sure okay, well. and, and good to good to hear how it turns out it's always educational to hear the context in which it's designed to be to be heard rather than in our um perfect listening environments here Mm, of course yeah you want to hear it across that wide screen and filling up the whole room yeah well i hope you get to see it soon then yes hopefully (laughs) very much hope so okay well um thanks again for taking the time to speak to us for our podcast today it's been lovely to talk to you john um i hope you have a wonderful rest of your day thank you very much and you all right thanks john bye headliner radio supporting the creative community 